the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We have a ton to cover as uh, well as Congress proves it's pretty darn dysfunctional, and we'll get to all that in a moment. We'll also talk with Conrad Black, Lord Conrad Black, in a few moments, and we'll catch up with Noah Says. Noah Says and see what he says. Noah Dingley, our great producer, has been on vacation for a few days. We'll see what he has to say about things uh, after a few days off. All right, what you need to know today is um, the Democrats, don't be fooled. Uh, in my opinion, they're showing a lot of uh, back and forth and fighting, and they're debating, and they're fighting, and they're fighting, and they're debating. Ultimately, you can rest assured on this fact. What you need to know is they will spend more money. They will spend more money. Uh, right now, they're fighting over whether to spend $5 trillion, $7 trillion, $10 trillion, whatever it is. The big reconciliation bill, the so-called Build Back Better, is a wish list of every single crazy expansion of government. Everything from uh, free money to people... Um, that are low income, like free cash, uh, changing the welfare system, uh, community college for free, massive uh, spending on green energy, meaning giveaways for more of the Democrat priorities like uh, solar panels and windmills and such. All those things are rolled into that. But rest assured, they're still talking about spending a trillion to $1.2 trillion on quote unquote infrastructure, which is all kinds of junk and earmarks and all sorts of things in there, as well as some bridges, as well as some roads. Uh, but they're fighting about it now. They seem to be irreconcilable. But what you need to know is when it comes down to it, the swamp always protects itself. And so earlier on Thursday, you saw the swamp vote to extend the debt ceiling so that people, the government can keep borrowing money. And I have, I'm just promising you, there's, there's Republicans, so-called moderate Republicans, that have talked about voting for the infrastructure bill and voting for more spending. What you need to know is the swamp will protect the swamp, meaning... What is in the interest of the swamp is increasing power. And the way to increase, the best way to think about power increase is money. Jack. Jack moves the world. Not, I don't know, titles, not positions, not any of that. Jack. Who's got the Jack? Jack is what's going to move the world. That's what you should watch. That's what you should watch. Ultimately, it may, it may look like Joe Biden doesn't get everything he wants. It may look like the progressives don't get everything they want. Trust me, they're getting hundreds of billions of dollars transferred. Remember, Obama's stimulus was like $800, million, $800 billion. $800 billion. Now we're talking about trillions. Excuse me. Uh, 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 Obama's, yeah, Obama's stimulus. Obama's stimulus was, I think, let me get the number right. Was it, was it, uh, was it 760? I think it was 760, uh, 760, just under $800 billion. That's real money. Don't get me wrong. It's real money, but it's not like we're talking about 3.5 trillion. 
$3.5 trillion. I mean, you know, this is uh, categorically a different size, a different scope uh, of what we're doing, of what we're talking about. It's amazing. And... Um, and remember, yeah, I think actually technically, yeah, it's a total of seven hundred, about seven hundred billion dollars. Now we're talking about trillions and trillions uh, with this, uh, with the Build Back Better uh, fiasco. So the question is, as you see them fighting amongst themselves, what's actually happening? What what you need to know is. They're still amassing their fortunes. They're still amassing their money. They're still making sure the lobbyists get paid. Remember, when you spend billions and billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, trillions of dollars, that money goes somewhere. And when that money goes somewhere, it goes out and then it goes back in. Meaning, if you're able to pass a $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and inside that there's hundreds of billions or let's say, let's say there's $500 million for solar panels. Do you know who's going to give contributions to the Democrats who helped get that through? The solar panel industry. Do you know what's going to happen if you pass hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars for roads and bridges? You're going to get unions that are going to say, oh, man, this is great. We're getting huge amounts of money paid. We're going to, get, we're going to help support those candidates. That's the dynamic that's going on. Now, you may have seen Joe Manchin. Okay, I'm saying, hey, I'm not into spending 3.5 trillion, I'm spending 1.5 trillion, it's still a lot of money. I like that he said something like, oh, we're not going to do it without the meaning no tax hours for abortion. No, he's, he is from a more conservative state. We'll see if that holds. But that's another thing. Remember, who controls the budget, in this case Pelosi, is going to have all kinds of goodies in there. And there's a point where, in the swamp, the powers that be look the other way. If you're passing $1.2 trillion, you can rest assured there's $10 million for Planned Parenthood of San Francisco, and there's $1.6 million for Planned Parenthood of Dubuque, Iowa, and there's $1.1 million for Planned Parenthood of wherever. You get the point. You, if you're if you're in charge and you're Pelosi, you are taking care of business. Now, I I want to a point somewhere here. I want to point in a direction that is um, something that we I don't know if we'll ever know if we ever drain the swamp. But how many of our politicians and their families are getting richer and richer because of the massive spending? In other words, how many family members are lobbyists that are impacted and impacted by a massive 1.2 trillion? Because if you spend 1.2 trillion dollars on on a uh, on a Build Back Better it, it, or on, on a uh, infrastructure bill. That's not the same as defense spending, where you know there's defense spending. You can see what they're buying. They're buying planes. They're buying this one. They're buying anything under the sun. They're they're putting money out into the into the uh, into the um, swamp economy for people to scoop up. And if you know anything about how that system works, what you need to know is the swamp takes care of the swamp. And again, let me go back to what I told you before. Maybe the best filter on life in this moment is follow the money. Now, maybe that's always been true. It could be that's always the best filter. But it certainly feels like the best filter right now is follow the money. In the COVID bailouts, do you know where most of them, a lot, not most, I shouldn't say most, do you know where hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars went in the bailout of the COVID to, to the unions, to the bailout of states, to the covering of the pension funds, to the, I mentioned teachers unions, to the schools, they gave the schools tens of billions of dollars ostensibly for PPE and training. Well, you know who gets paid for training? The teachers' union gets paid for training. So the school gets a million dollars, and it hires the teachers' union's uh, executives to train the teachers' union for half a million dollars. Everybody's making money. Everybody's moving along. Everybody's happy, except for we the people that are being jerked around and run around and kept on our heels and not able to succeed and stuck like the Hunger Games. Remember the Hunger Games? I'll never forget the movie. I never loved the books. My kids liked the books. My wife liked the books. I never got into the books. The Hunger Games books, there's three or four of them. But I don't forget, I won't forget the first movie 
uh, where the I think it's 12 districts are out, and then one of them is a district that looks like West Virginia, and one of them is a district that looks like Iowa, meaning that they, you know one is coal and coal producing kind of barren, one is fields where there's growing corn, and one is a tech district like Silicon Valley. Each of the districts, but the districts are fairly barren. They're fairly because they must transfer all their wealth and all their uh, all their um, industry to the capital. And so at one point, uh, the main characters, uh, Katniss and then her, uh, well, later on her boyfriend, one of the, the, the boy in that, they take the train towards the capital. And as they get closer to the capital, it's gleaming in the distance. It's shiny. It's got gold. It's got food. It's got lights. And the contrast between the people out in the district, out in the states, and the capital, striking. That's what you need to know right now. As they seem to fight over whether to transform America with 5 or 7 or $10 trillion of growth in government programs or just spend $1.2, $1.5, $2.2, $2.7 trillion, just know this. They are in the process of transforming America. They are in the process of making America the Hunger Games. It's happening all around us. And you follow the money, and although they look like they're fighting to do something that sounds cons- fiscally conservative, fiscally responsible. They're just finding the way to increase their power. And the power is not the power of only one party, although the Democrats are pretty good at it. It's also the power of the incumbents. And so you'll see a bunch of Republicans that will so decide, find a way to vote because they want the action. They want the money. They want the jack-jack. That's what you're going to find. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back. we got Conrad, Lord Conrad Black, who has a definition of the Bidenization, Bidenization of America, Bidenization of America. And we'll also talk to our great producer, Noah Dingley, and get an update on Noah Says. It's been a few weeks since we saw him. He took some days off. We're going to see what he says about baseball, see what he says about COVID, see what he says about the kids. Uh, he's always good on a lot of these topics. Noah Dingley coming up, coming up in a moment on Noah Says. So that's what you need to know. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for our daily wink there and we'll be right back. Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with our old friend, Lord Conrad Black. He's uh, one of the more successful businessmen, I was going to say Canadian businessmen, but across the world, uh, been a publisher, an author, historian, and writes regularly now at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. I have to say, uh, Lord Black, uh, one of the things that caught my attention on this piece that you recently wrote and that I wanted to have you on is to, to use the phrase, that you used, Bidenization is the phrase used, and here's the definition. Bidenization may be defined as a conspicuous and humiliating failure in every major area of government activity. So my first question on behalf of the Biden administration, have they achieved full Bidenization or are you planning on it? I mean, has it really been in every area of government? Well, I, I'm sure, no. I'm sure that the War Graves <laughs> Commission is well run, and I'm sure that uh, all, all sorts of important specialized departments of government are well run. But uh, but the, the principal policy areas, I'm afraid, it, it, that's what it is. And I'm not a partisan. I'm not, as you know, an American, though I know the country well, and I wish it well. And I, whoever is president, I wish that person well. I don't care what party they are. But... but um, I, I'm afraid that is the case. I, I mean, you know, the economy is going to pieces. Uh, the, the southern border is, is just an open artery. Uh, the, the status of the United States with its traditional allies has been severely shaken. Afghanistan has shocked the world for its incompetence. The spectacle of senior officers testifying at the Congress to things that 
uh, no previous administration would have tolerated. The impudences and insubordination of General Milley vastly exceed what General MacArthur did to President Truman, uh, who fired him, and General MacArthur was a great general, uh, one of the greatest generals in American history, and there is no argument for to be made of the same kind on behalf of General <laughs> Milley. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it's... Uh, the, the look at the COVID thing. I mean, they won by having their allies, the Democratic Party's allies in the media, terrorize the living Jehovah out of the whole country over uh, a, a pandemic where uh, if, if you're healthy and not over 65 years old, your survival chances are 99.5%. Uh, and, and now I doubt if, if 1% of Americans could successfully explain what the federal government's policy uh, to fighting the what's left of the COVID problem is. I mean, they, you know, they they said initially they wouldn't trust the vaccine that Trump had developed. Now they're threatening serious sanctions, loss of employment on vast categories of people if they don't get that vaccine, vaccination. I, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a shambles. And, and it's, it's terribly worrisome when the government of the United States it, it lapses into incomprehensibility. We're talking with Lord Conrad Black. And again, as an observer of uh, his, history of presidencies, I uh, wrote a book on FDR, wrote a book on uh, Trump. Uh, and uh, and um, Lord Black, though, let, let me pause is it possible that we're seeing a presidency up close like we've never seen before? Maybe it started with Trump where they covered every nook and cranny. And so you kind of are seeing it. And, and I don't, I, I'm trying to be, find a way to be generous because as you, you categorize it well and listed them one after another, areas of government where they just seem incompetent or maybe in, in, not even just incompetent, but incoherent. You know, one day they say one thing, another day they say another. They have people that are serious adults in the administration that say things like, it's not going to cost us anything to spend $3.5 trillion, right? It's just incoherence. Is it partly, now again, you were a, a publisher, you, you know, you've been a close observer of, of world uh, media. Is it partly that this scrutiny is so up close and so uh, 24-7 that they'll never be a presidency that doesn't have does doesn't have this uh, exposure, or is it really that bad? I, I think it's a combination. To be fair, I, I think the twenty-four hour news cycle and the <clears throat> the um, vastly greater number of news outlets. I mean, when I was a young person, which I admit was quite a while ago, but uh, you know, I'm not I'm not that old. Um, <laughs> you, you you only had three networks, and you and you had. Uh, uh, four or five influential newspapers and magazines, and, and that basically was what formed public opinion. Uh, and um, and of course now it's much broader, and and the news cycle is every minute of every day, uh, and, and they're always trying to fill time on the air with whatever they can find, and and so you do get much more scrutiny than you did. But uh, but I, I think that's only a part of it. In the case of Trump. The media just formed a, a an assault brigade and attacked him with fixed bayonets. Ninety five percent of the national political media were prepared to say anything or write anything to get rid of him, and uh, and and that they they went a long way to destroying the professional credibility. Uh, we're, okay, we're 
Oh, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black. I'm not sure if we just lost him there for a second, but uh, again, uh, a, a keen observer of both uh, politics and media, and especially I meant to mention wrote a he wrote a history not only of um, not only of uh, FDR but also Nixon, and uh, and certainly has uh, that historical perspective. He had a book on Trump and the presidency. And uh, okay, Lord Black, let me shift gears for a second and and uh, ask you a different question about. Your experience, I mentioned uh, to our listeners before, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black. Uh, he published a history of uh, uh, FDR, a history of Nixon, uh, a couple of history uh, books on America and Canada, also one on Trump. But I, I want to ask you, as a, as a publisher, you published and succeeded in publishing in Australia, in Great Britain, in Canada, and the United States. And all, all and of those Israel. nations... And Israel. And all those... Actually, is perfect. Israel also, all those nations have had uh, different approaches and successes regarding the pandemic. But Australia is the one that is, is catches the attention right now of a lot of Americans. They've really been cracking down, that's the word, on freedom. What's happening there? It's insane. I, and I, it's not the Australia I know. I mean, you know, I don't know if you know that country, but I'm sure many of your listeners do. But they, they are sort of like Crocodile Dundee. They're, you know, they're rough individualistic, you know, likable, can-do, active men and, and, and uh, you know, and very attractive, intelligent women. And, and you know, and it's an absolutely free country. And telling Australians what to do, I would have thought, was one of the least satisfactory occupations you could think of. But I, and I think <laughs> there is great resistance to what the government's doing, but, but they are doing it. And, and it's insane. I don't understand that. Well, and so, and then, so, and then again, we're talking with Lord Conrad Black. Then, and an observation across history, and the, the many histories you've done. Um, what happens in Australia? You say, well, it's not America. What happens in Israel? Well, it's not America. You know, different places. On the other hand, there's an edge to the rhetoric now. Joe Biden refers to the people that are unvaccinated as the other. The governor of New York says God said to be vaccinated, and if you don't uh, choose that, you're choosing against God. There's an edge in the rhetoric, which, as you know, the printed word as well as the spoken word, it has a power that that translates often into policy as well as politics. Are we headed towards Australia? Are we are we learning from Australia and we're going to swing the other way? What I mean, it does feel like we've lost some freedoms in this in in this country in this time. Uh, Is it going to swing back or what, what do you what's your sense? Look, I, I think that you have, and I think we all have, all our countries have. I'm in Canada right now, and it has. But yes, it'll swing back, and you're getting tremendous resistance in the United States now. As you know, it's not for me to tell you this, but uh, all over the United States, there, there are groups resisting various uh, assertions of government authority in respect of, uh, uh, of the pandemic. I, I mean, I, I, obviously, there is an overarching public health duty and requirement for the state, by which I mean government in general, to try and protect the population. Everyone, every sane person agrees to that. But the the level to which it can be asserted is a matter of dispute. And in general, I think that it is agreed that parents should decide for children. And unless you're in a vulnerable category, uh, it's, it's up to the individual to decide. And by the way, the best immunity is to get the damn thing recover from it, preferably with no symptoms or minimal symptoms, and then you've got the best immunity you can get. But beyond, I mean, at a certain point, the the government has to impose some things 
for the general benefit. But beyond that, they have to allow people to, to decide for themselves. And the, the, the trouble is the, the water has been muddied here by dragging it into politics, as the Democrats did. They brought it in, and now it's killing them because they don't know how to manage it. It's like a Frankenstein monster. Yeah, one last, uh, one last question. We're talking with Lord Conrad Black. Uh, on your definition of Bidenization, one of the words in there that was uh, is important, I think, is it's, you said Bidenization may be defined as a conspicuous and humiliating failure in every major area of government activity. The humiliating thing is what's uh, really surprising. I mean, in the sense that it's just public and worldwide how incompetent Joe Biden seems, right? I mean, I, we've never had, even Ronald Reagan, when they called him a cowboy and said he was just a B actor, he never had the impression that Biden makes of the world. And, and that humiliation, it's not just, it's not just uh, unpleasant, you know, you wish you didn't see it, you're sort of embarrassed. It, it gives a bad sense of what the future could be and what leadership is. Yeah, terribly worrisome. Look, the, Ronald Reagan, I, I, they made wisecracks about him being an actor. But he was a very effective president. The only fiasco he had in eight years where he looked like he, he was kind of missing the plot was in that Iran-Contra business. But that passed over, and it wasn't significant anyway. I mean, we, you know, what, what problem was there? A, a minor bit of embarrassment. Like President Eisenhower uh, trying to claim that, that the U-2 was a weather reconnaissance flight. I mean, you know, every now <laughs> right. and then he's... <laughs> capable people make mistakes, uh, but but uh, here you just you're, you're you know the administration's blundering from one crisis to another. We've just had uh, the Joint Chiefs up under oath in the Congress denying absolutely what the president's explanation of Afghanistan was, saying they warned him what would happen, and he's saying no, no one warned me. Well, I mean, can you yeah. imagine that happening ever before? I, I mean, right. I, I've been following these things since Eisenhower's time. And I, I, never once has any senior military official under oath that the Congress contradicted the word and effectively, you know, implied that the president was not telling the truth. I mean, it's just not yeah. done. No, it was a stunning. All right, Lord Chinese Conrad Black. Presidents Blum. don't do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, and, and someone said to one of those uh, generals or the secretary, uh, "Why, why isn't somebody held accountable?" I mean, at some point, whatever this is we've got here, it's uh, incompetence. All right, I've got to run, Lord Conrad Black. Thank you as always. Thanks for writing over to American Greatness and Greatness dot com. I'll put it up on social media, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Right, you are. Thanks, Ed. Bye. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. And our great Noah Dingley, the producer of the program, has been away for a few days on uh, well-deserved R&R. So we have to catch back up with a, another segment of Noah Says. Noah Says. And uh, this one, I got to tell you, Noah, I missed you especially because uh, oh, off the air, Noah and I will talk about baseball a lot. He's a, old, a longtime Dodgers fan. Of course, I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan. And if, the, if our teams aren't playing the Padres, we're happy to root for the Padres, although they're all overlapping and uh, intertwined right now. So, you must have had a good few days off and watched a lot of uh, Dodger baseball, I suppose, huh? Did a lot of relaxing, a lot of sleeping in, got to spend a lot of uh, special time with uh, my girlfriend and connect with family. But one thing I definitely did was watched Dodger baseball every single day, and it was tremendous. And you would think by looking at the standings, hey, the Dodgers are 102-56. and 56. Put them in any other division, 
they're in first place. Not in the, this year, amazingly competitive National League West. We're still two back of the Giants. Are you serious? That's a hundred, are you really 102 and 56? 102 and 56. Any other division oh, by yeah. far, we're in first place. San Francisco, 104 and 54. Wow. I didn't realize that's crazy. To get 100 wins in a season is like the best season ever. Yeah, that no. If you hit a hundred wins, you're doing a, quite a few things right. And yeah. you know the Dodgers have had numerous players on the injured list off and on throughout the year. So for them to be a hundred and two wins, and that's a heck of a season. Well, and so here's what I want to ask you: know, a hundred and two wins. You got the Dodgers were the World Series champs last year. They add a couple of good guys. They got Pujols, which is great clubhouse. Great addition. As well great as, addition. Yeah, and they love them. I know, but. Uh, Aren't you actually sort of worried? It's I hate to do this to you. It's like the perfect storm. You have that good a team, that good a season, and now you got to play a one-game playoff against the Cardinals? I will tell you what I, I've told you off the air before a couple of times on the radio show. Not even against the Dodgers. The Cardinals have this uncanny ability to play a mediocre B-plus season, and then something happens if they make a wild card postseason berth, and they are a completely different team. That, along with the fact this year, they are on a, what is it, 19-game winning streak? I don't want to face the Cardinals. I'm really hoping we can at least tie the Giants for a one-game playoff to kick, you, to kick them to the wild card, because I'm a little bit afraid of the Redbirds. Yeah, one game is always a challenge. You can throw one guy out there. All right, hey, let's switch over for a second. You had this time off, and I and I'm I want to delve into this because you would have instead of having to come to work every day, you're doing fun stuff. What what's the feeling of the COVID for normal people when you're going out and about, you're going to different places, out to dinner, all the things, seeing some new friends, some of uh, your girlfriend's friends, and I. Is the tension higher? Are people forgetting about the pandemic? Is the school are the school children being driven to distraction? Give me your sort of Noah says update on the pandemic. Well, I'll tell you, and, and this is where I really think, and I'm not even going to say Republican or Democrat, politicians need a gut check because I spent a lot of time with my girlfriend and her family, and you know, and her friends while I was relaxing on vacation out in public. The general consensus from what I see, this is my opinion, is that there's a lot of people that are just doing whether they're vaccinated or not. And a lot of the times you can't tell. It's common sense. It's like even before the vaccines came out. Sometimes, you know, if you know who you're around, you know, you, you don't necessarily socially distance. If you don't know the crowd you're around, you're a little bit more cautious to that. There's mask wearing when, you know, when it is appropriate, even though I don't think that they help. If it gives you a sense of security, that's great. There's a lot of courteousness also amongst other, other people. There's not as much division as they, the politicians, would, leave, would lead you to believe. And so that's where I really think they need to get more in tune with the people because they really don't know what's going on. What about um, uh, school kids? Have you? I know you have some friends. I know your your children, your sons are older, but I mean, school kids. Are, people are now fully back in school for a month or six weeks or well, almost eight weeks now. What's the feeling there? I, I to, and I give you the context where I live. My seventeen year old daughter plays volleyball with her varsity volleyball team at her uh, school. Her girl, all girls school, little Catholic school, and um, they changed the rules the other day. They're about five games into the season. And now they're all wearing masks playing volleyball. 
and that's where, to me, we're in insanity territory. You know, I again, as you said, there's places where courteousness dictates, hey, I'm just going to wear a mask or, you know, concern. You go into an old folks home. OK, I, I get it. I'm going to be I'm going to you know play the role of visiting someone else's home. But I have volleyball, these young girls, all healthy, all athletic, all whatever. And they're wearing masks. So what's happening in schools uh, that you picked up? Anything? Here's something that I found very uh, well he- here in California. Anyhow, the you know, the there's the, a mandate for the for the teachers where they have to either be vaccinated by a certain day or weekly testing, which, again, I think if you offer the weekly testing option again, even though I'm not really for, you know, forcing the vaccine, that's a good way to go about that because you're able to have people keep their jobs, do the weekly test. And, you know, that that's great. Well, the uh, big thing, uh, SD Unified uh, came out the other day and they didn't even hear all the opposition that was supposed to be able to speak at this public forum. Didn't even let everybody speak. Came through with the decision that the San Diego Unified School District now is students 16 and up must be vaccinated. No testing option. And staff must be vaccinated. No testing option. Anybody under 16 must be uh, must be tested. And here's the kicker. I was doing some research for my own show, Ed. And, and if you go to UNICEF, which is a pretty big deal, go to the website. I believe it's data.unicef.org. And of all the COVID deaths, 2 million plus, even if you believe that number, of the 2 million plus COVID deaths, 20 or under, the death rate is point. Three percent. It is child abuse to think that you, we need to even consider vaccinating these kids. It makes me actually very heated. They don't get it. They don't give it. It is virtually impossible. Not a hundred percent. Virtually impossible for them to transmit or to get the disease. And I, I, I think it's a whole bunch of hooey. But so what I also I, got, I, I hear you. What I wonder though is you know the power of the media. And frankly, school teachers, everybody says the schools aren't good enough, but then they say, oh, but my kid's teacher's good. You know, it's, it's like a psychology. I like a, everybody hates Congress, but eh, my congressman is OK. Uh, are, are, what's your sense of moms, you know, uh, of dads, uh, of, of school age kids? Are they getting fed up? Are they getting intimidated? What is your did you did you pick up any of that? Because that's one of the things that I, I'm not convinced that the parents are actually willing to stand up and fight. I actually feel like they're sort of giving in a bit because they need their kids to get back to school. They they can't, you know, have them home anymore. And I just don't see the clarity of the fight. No, I agree with you. Uh, now, here's the deal. I also saw a poll on Newsmax yesterday that said about half of Americans believe that these vaccination mandates on kids is is not good. Shouldn't be doing it. Right. You know, whether it's, you know, to get him back to school or not. So that being the case, more parents need to stand up. You know, if you don't like that your kid has to get vaccinated to go back to school, uh, you know, and I'm and 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 I'm not a scientist, but I do follow the numbers. Like I said, the point three percent death rate. These kids are not going to get it. Two million plus cases. Uh, uh, Ed, here's what I would do if I were a parent and my kids were that age. Pull them out of school. Homeschool them if you can. Uh, send them to a send them to a to a private school. These little bubbles are popping up. There are options out there. However, the parents have to stand up because if you don't do it now, you ain't going to be able to do it later. 
You know, I wonder if we're going to see, and we're talking about Noah Dingley, the great producer of our program. Uh, Noah says is our segment here, and we're wrapping up, Noah, with time. Uh, but in, in uh, Virginia, you might might not have seen it, or maybe you did, but in the debate between the governor governor's candidates here, uh, one of the governor's candidates, the former governor, Terry McAuliffe, and he's running again, he said, uh, parents shouldn't have anything. They have no right to say what's taught in schools. And it just whipped back on him. You know, people are like, wait a second. Parents are saying, hey, I'm not going to let you decide for my child. I may I may sometimes let you decide what books they read. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm not going to let you decide on, on what their health uh, freedom, health care is going to be. That feels like a big, uh, big inflection point. But I got to tell you, I just I'll reiterate what I just said before. Parents have to stand up and demand it. They can't get busy and go on with their life because I, um, I think the system will take advantage of them. The system. No. And here's the thing. If you don't stand up for your kids now, whatever the requirements are now, these aren't going to be the final requirements. What one thing we have seen since this whole covid debacle began, Ed. No matter what your things are on vaccines, they do, they don't work, whatever. It doesn't matter. The initial report was, hey, all we need, we're going to lock you down two weeks to flatten the curve. We'll, we'll get back at it, come back. Then it was everybody needs to wear a mask. They have moved the goalpost over and over again, and there is no finish line. They will keep this COVID thing going as long as they possibly can. And what every parent needs to ask, are you going to let them do this to your kids? Because even though my kids are on their, in their 20s and some yeah. of these requirements aren't, you know, being inflicted upon them, I make sure they have all the, the current information. Stand up for your kids. Yeah. All right. Noah says, Noah Dingley, he does his own program on The Answer San Diego and a great producer of our program. Thank you, Noah, as always. We'll take a break, everybody, and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. And now, from the archives of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, here is Phyllis Schlafly. October 1st, 1746, was the birthday of a famous pastor of the American Revolution days named John Peter Muhlenberg. This gives us a good opportunity to reflect on a little-known piece of history and maybe learn some lessons to deal with today's challenges. Pastor Muhlenberg is famous for ending one of his sermons with this call to arms. In the language of the Holy Writ, there is a time for all things. There is a time to preach and a time to fight. After he spoke those words, he took off his clerical robes and revealed that he was wearing a uniform in the Continental Army. Then he marched out of church with 300 men of his congregation following him to join General George Washington's Virginia Army. Pastor Muhlenberg was later promoted to Major General. He endured the freezing winter of Valley Forge and fought in the famous battles at Brandywine, Germantown, Monmouth, Stony Point, and Yorktown. He was later elected a congressman and then a senator. In 1889, Pennsylvania placed a statue of John Peter Muhlenberg in the U.S. Capitol's Statuary Hall. The Muhlenberg story reminds us of how important Christianity was in the founding of the United States. We were led by men who were very outspoken and public about their faith, and Christian pastors were real leaders in the fight for independence and liberty. 
I think we should all remind our own pastors that they need to be leaders in the current battles, particularly the current moral battle to protect marriage and the traditional family. Unfortunately, many pastors of all denominations are reluctant to speak out forcefully to defend marriage when we are confronted with attacks on it in ballot initiatives or in proposed legislation. Christian pastors should be out in front defending marriage that is under attack in legislatures and in the courts. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. When America turns our back on our Christian heritage, we shouldn't be surprised when biblical precepts like honesty, kindness, respect, justice, and freedom are abandoned. At phyllisschlafly.com, we still believe in rights endowed by our Creator. If you agree, find out more at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Hey, let's wrap things up today and uh, let us talk about uh, a couple more of the things that we're seeing out there in America. I got an email from one of our listeners uh, who was, I think, listening online. Yeah. And he referred me again to what I encourage you, uh, this incredible video of Jonathan Isaac, who plays for the Orlando Magic. And he's an African-American man. He grew up in New York City. He uh, went to uh, Florida State University for one year, and he's a big star, uh, incredible athlete, was drafted to the NBA and has been in the NBA. He's about 23 years old. He has a one, uh, a two-minute video that I will put up on social media, and it's extraordinary. He is basically asked about why he did not get the um, vaccination, and he walks through what his reasons are, what his concerns are, and he's so clear and so simple and so reasonable. You say to yourself, well... Um, why don't I respect that? And you look around and you say, it's not uh, just or it's not only or it's not even predominantly conservatives who aren't getting the vaccination. I actually think that they should do it. I wish they would do something more serious and break out the numbers on this. I suspect that you'll find that 40 and under are much more uh, likely to forego the vaccination, right? They just and 25 and under even more so. I just love to see the numbers, because when you see somebody like this gentleman, he he makes you realize he's like, it's not at all unreasonable what he's doing. He's being sort of a reasonable guy. He's moving along with his life. And he's he's kind of saying, uh, you know, here's some reasons why. Here's the things that gave me pause. Here's the things that I looked at. And ultimately, I decided, you know what, this isn't the right thing for me to do. And he says, I'm not saying it's the last decision I'll make. And he said, I'm not judging other people. But he said, I'm young and I'm healthy and I have some reason to worry about the side effects of the vaccine. So I just decided not to get it. It's getting harder and harder for the powers that be to characterize the people who object to the um, to the um, to the uh, vaccinations as so outside the mainstream. It feels that way. I mean, you know, in New York State, the governor has said if you don't get the vaccine, the vaccine is from God. If you don't get the vaccine, you're going against God. It's 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 getting harder and harder to, to not feel that these people that are acting this way, they're outside of the mainstream, not the people who have these reservations and concerns. Now, again, let me go back to the numbers. I bet you some, let's say 30 and under, I bet the percentage is higher than you'd expect that doesn't want the vaccine. But you go 55 and older, I think you'll find the numbers higher than you expect. 
In other words, people who have been listening, and whether it's all true or not, it doesn't matter. What they've been listening to is the concerns. They're more likely to say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and get that. I think that's really real. I think that's what you're seeing. So uh, anyway, congratulations to that young man uh, with the Orlando Magic, uh, incredible guy, uh, Jonathan Isaac. Really extraordinary to watch him uh, speak on the subject and learn from him. Um, I hope he has a career in the public eye uh, after and during his NBA career. Uh, all right, everybody, we'll take a break. I'm grateful that jo- uh, that our own Noah Dingley is back, our producer. Uh, thank you to him. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests. Thank you to, for, to you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.